Hi, and welcome to History Between Bites podcast. This is the uh, intro episode, episode zero, I guess we're going to call it, uh, where we're going to tell you all about us, what we do, what the podcast is, and uh, just kind of let you get to know us a little bit before you um, hopefully continue to listen to us um, for many, many episodes. Um, Okay, so History Between Bites, right? Uh, Your host, I'm Sam, and I have Birdie here with me. Um, so how about you go first, Birdie? Who, who, who are you? <laughs> oh, gosh. What a question. Yeah. Um, so my name is Birdie. I am a home cook. I don't have any kind of formal training, either in history or in cooking. So, you know, already an internet expert here. But I do have like a a deep and lasting interest in food. I grew up in the American South. I grew up on a steady diet of sweet tea, collard greens, pretty much anything and everything fried. But what really got me started with the the interest in cooking and exploring flavor is because the food I grew up with was poverty food in a lot of ways. And there's this rich culinary history of stretching every dollar and using what you have. So flavors that are ubiquitous, the things they mean are things that would grow in your average garden. And this is very regional. So like the ubiquity of flavors is changing now that we're in a much more global environment. But for hundreds of years, what you could grow in your backyard, what your neighbor could grow, the livestock you could raise, those were the things that you were going to be the most familiar with. For me, even though... Like, a better way to put that would be that growing up in a somewhat impoverished community, you are going to have, like, a little bit of a slower introduction to more worldly cuisine. I guess the the best example would probably be the strip mall Chinese food <laughs> being the most... What's the word I'm looking for? Global. Global. Yes. It's the most exotic food you had access to? Yes. You're like, um, that's the worldly, sort of adventurous cuisine. Yes. Oh, we're going to go bad tonight. We're going to get lo mein with (laughs) beef. Orange chicken, a.k.a. sugar chicken, with our sugar beef and our sugar noodles. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sugar and soy sauce. For the most part, like, the things that you could grow in your backyard, the things that your neighbor could grow, the, the livestock you can raise, those are the things that are going to be those ubiquitous flavors. Did you have a lot of access to different kinds of like meat products or were you limited in that space as well? So like pork, chicken, turkey, kind of the staples or? It was was pretty limited, um, both from a combination of, you know, I didn't grow up with a ton of money, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, your parents are a huge influence in that too. And I love you, dad, but you don't like fish (laughs) and that's fair. You don't have to, but it also means that I didn't get a ton of exposure to fish growing up. Sometimes we would go to a fish fry and have catfish. And that was about the limit on the fish in the house. This is so wild because I grew up on the complete opposite end of the country as you. And my fish story is pretty much the same, but for different reasons. So Yeah, you grew up in a desert. I did. You don't eat fish in the desert. You don't eat seafood in a desert. I don't care how global we are. I don't care how quick we can ship. You cannot eat it same day. No. No, no, oh, especially not somewhere like where you grew up, which is the ass end of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, okay, so other things like your interests in food, right? And you have this really 
special interest in food that I love and could never do. Um, so please tell everyone about this sort of the collegiate aspect of food interests for you. Oh, uh, so I am actually currently working on a bachelor's in sociology with a focus on community health. And I want to get a master's degree in either food science or gastronomy because I want to combat food deserts. Because food deserts, if you don't know, in urban communities, it means that you can't walk a mile and hit a grocery store. And in rural communities, it means you can't drive 10 miles and hit a grocery store. My hometown is a food desert. You can't walk a mile to get to any fresh produce or, mm-hmm. or any like grocery store. I know that there's some, um, you know, dollar store type access. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even with driving, I think it's a 15 mile drive to the closest large grocery store, uh, which is really fascinating that I would have never considered myself as having grown up in a food desert. There was a grocery store in the town when I was growing up, so it wasn't that. Uh, but since then, yes, yeah, uh, sort of become more and more grocery desolate. <laughs> yeah. And it's fascinating that in a world where we seem to think about our spaces being progressive, the town I grew up with is actually regressing in terms of um, access. And that's what we see happen with rural communities that are dying. Yeah. Is as the population shrinks, your access to fresh and healthy food is also going to shrink. There's always a racism element to these things, too. If you have large minority communities, you're much more likely to be in a food desert. Yeah. Not the story of my hometown, but it does make sense. If you've ever had any experience with Southern American cuisine, and you may not have, and I'll talk more about it when we talk about regional cuisines and things like that, but I grew up with a lot of the Southern American staples, particularly stuff that's unique to the Carolinas, um, which is where I grew up. So vinegar-based barbecue, um, something that my parents called sticky chicken, which is just barbecue chicken. Uh, It was sticky, though, so... I love little, like like uh, family colloquialisms like that. Um, ours was dippy eggs. It's just a, like over easy mm-hmm. or over medium. So the, the yolk is still runny. We yeah. call them dippy eggs. Apparently it made it more palatable for our uh, adolescent inclinations. <laughs> Whatever works. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also, there's a big hot sauce, like culture and subculture in the South. Like there's a larger hot sauce culture that's the American South. That has now started spreading basically everywhere, which is interesting because it's like you get some new and interesting regional varieties of hot sauce. And it's just, it's neat to see that they come back to kind of that Southern American vinegar base and then some that just completely go off the rails from that. What? And I've seen like a tomatillo style green hot sauce that you would get in like your everyday Mexican taco shop. Um, But it's marketed as having Carolina Reapers in it. And so it's this wonderful blend of what you're talking about. I swear that white people are trying to push back against the idea that we don't season our food by making hotter and hotter hot sauces. But that's not seasoning. It's It's not seasoning. Yeah, because your hot sauce should also taste good. Yeah. And if anybody watches Hot Ones, which shameless plug for a wonderful YouTube channel. Not sponsors, just fans. Yeah, yet. But like every time someone eats the bomb, it's like clearly it has that same sort of thing where like it absolutely tastes like shit. It does every, taste like shit. Every time someone tries it and it's just hot. And so it's like, that's not flavor. That's not seasoning. So hopefully we can yeah. um, do better than that here. So Mr. Birdie, my husband and my best friend uh, from back East, we did a hot ones challenge for Christmas as like 
Mr. Birdie's Christmas gift from her. And Dabam is the worst one. Like, <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the general consensus. It's so bad. It's so bad. They said it tastes chemically. Yeah, it basically tastes like you just put pepper spray on your tongue. Oh, that sounds lovely. It's Oh, yeah, it's great. 10 out of 10, do recommend if you want to actually and actively torture somebody. Nice, nice. Sam, it is now your turn to talk oddly about yourself. Great. So I'm Sam and uh, my background. So I am a um, historian by trade, I guess, by education. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in history and religious studies, and then I got my master's degree in history. My thesis was on Jewish women's magical practices in the ancient world, which sounds so fun, um, but really is probably not as exciting as as anybody would um, think. It's really looking for space where women in the ancient world can find agency, and and that stems from these uh, these ritual practices that happen and, and places for women to kind of carve out a, a niche for them to take ownership of their bodies and ownership of their family and their home and things like that. So food kind of comes into that. Food absolutely comes into uh, that. Who are the people that do most of the cooking throughout history? Yeah, it's the, it's the women for sure. It's only since the rise of celebrity chefs that we've seen men consistently in the kitchen. Well, and a lot of the food staples have medicinal purposes. And so you see a lot of uses of things like olive oil, which we'll see in episode one, honey in episode two. These things really end up being sort of part and parcel of um, everyday medicinal uses in the ancient world. And then, of course, have some uses that even trickle into the modern world, you know, honey specifically being used in, you know, cough syrups and things like that. So that is my historian background. I'm an educator as well. So I I work at a few um, undisclosed universities and community colleges, and I teach world history and writing of history. So any students who are listening, I'm very sorry for all of the pain I've ever put you through with writing, but it is worth it. Um, (laughs) And if you've had to sit through a lecture of mine, hopefully it wasn't too bad. Meanwhile, I apologize for nothing. And Sam shouldn't either. (laughs) Yeah, but I do need to be rehired. So I would love them to write good reviews. So I apologize for all the things. (laughs) But my interest in food, um, I don't know. They kind of stem from, I briefly worked in the food industry. So I worked in a five-star restaurant and I was front of house. So it was waitress and bartending. But a lot of my friends at the time were back of the house. And so just watching how food comes together and how menus are made and the idea of, you know, what is complementary in in palates and then watching some of them um, in their off time cook and just just watching people make dishes and how oddly simple some things can be. So food I grew up with is really um, kind of similar to yours. We weren't reliant upon food that we grew because, again, I grew up in the desert and you can't even grow a tomato in that store. No, absolutely not. But yeah, so we really relied on our local grocery store and surrounding grocery stores, which again, were, um, sorry guys, we're a number of uh, miles away and we're just going to have a little bit of an alarm in our That's episode zero. It'd be great. But so the food staples I grew up with uh, were really what we would consider um, food stamp food. I was of the generation that had the fake Monopoly money to, to, that went to the grocery store and was incredibly embarrassing every time you would go because inevitably your mom would be paying with 
blue and purple credit fake money things and you're the most popular person in your school would walk in right at that moment. So that was fun. Uh, but then trauma, I digress. But a lot of it was just, you know, it's a lot of hamburger helper was a staple. Anything that could be made with hamburger uh, was a staple. So there was a lot of really bland tacos and I dare to even call them tacos because I love you mom, but you ruined whatever a taco <laughs> should be. And I get that it's a family thing, but it's it's blasphemy. They would take uh, ground beef and probably not season it. And if my mom was seasoning it, she was probably seasoning it with only garlic powder, which is not a horrible seasoning, but there's no salt. Which you need salt. You need salt. So no salt. Um, she didn't even get like the taco season packets. Apparently that she was allergic to, to that idea as well. So we had plain ass ground beef and she would fry her corn tortillas. So we at least had crunchy tortillas that were not like the pre-made shells. So that was fancy. Uh, but this is where, this is where it gets really bad. She would take mayonnaise. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It doesn't even matter where it goes. It's just bad. So she would take mayonnaise and they would put that on the shell before you loaded your taco with all the things. So it'd be mayonnaise, meat, lettuce, cheese. And then, and I kid you not, four drops of tapatio. And then salt over the top. <laughs> so my interest in food is because I need to eat better. <laughs> and not for health purposes. I just need to taste better. Not me specifically. But, like, I need to have more things to try. Because that is the most disgusting taco recipe I've ever shared with you. And now the whole world is going to know that my mom and grandmother have ruined tacos. So another thing that white people tried to appropriate and thus ruined it. Um, I have a great story about my parents' first date. My dad decided to cook for my mom. Bless his heart. Um, I, I swear to this day, he will never admit it, but I swear it was a test. He made sloppy joes in the microwave for my mom for their first date. I mean, I, I guess I can't talk shit. When I first moved to San Diego, I made quesadillas in the microwave. Yeah, but that's but, melted cheese and tortillas. This is true. <laughs> like, this is a ground beef recipe somehow made in the microwave. He's like, I got this, babe. Four minutes. Dinner will be ready. <laughs> she came back for a second date, which is how I'm here today. But I'm just like, that had to be that had to be a test. Right? He, his sweet tea must have been really good. Had to have been. That's wild. In the yeah. microwave. I love it. In the microwave. I don't even know how, like, was it leftovers that he reheated? Because that's bad <laughs> on its own. Did he cook the ground beef in the microwave? I don't know. And I'm honestly kind of afraid to ask. <laughs> and your parents are still married, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My dad ran out of gas on their first date and they are not still married. So <laughs> food mishaps apparently makes for a happy marriage. Running out of gas. Not so much. Uh, but yeah, so so food I grew up with, uh, processed food, um, like Hungry Man dinners, Hamburger Helper. Cereal was just a dinner option for forever. So, you know, Wick is a thing. So we yeah. got a lot of kicks and a lot of Cheerios. So that was like when in doubt, if you don't like what mom's making, which is pretty much all the time. Um, cereal was always in the in the kitchen for you. There's nothing wrong with Hungry Man dinners, no. by the way. Like... I'm not going to class shame anybody that still is living on poverty. No, because no. 
that is just like... I mean, we're here today. We survived. Yeah. And if anything, it's given us a better appreciation for food that we do cook from scratch. Yes. And it's really interesting because learning how to make things from scratch was actually surprisingly easy because... I mean, not to say that it's super easy, right? It, there's an intimidation factor, but I feel like the heightened level of intimidation with something from scratch ha- after having eaten everything that's kind of pre-packaged and pre-assembled or like it's that easy sort of style dinner is really uplifting to be able to be like, I made this shit from scratch. Like I started with base ingredients and made it taste better than the the pre the prepackaged things. So. Yeah. And one thing that my parents did a lot was that they tried really really hard to make as much from scratch as they could. Now they might still be using canned vegetables and stuff. Like I don't think I had fresh green beans until I was probably 13 or 14 at at somebody else's house, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Yeah. Because we just were used to the canned ones. We were used to that texture and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really real is if you were used to the texture of something that's canned once you have the fresh version, you're like, I don't, I don't know about that because it doesn't taste like it's supposed to. Green beans was a very hard one to transition from canned to fresh, absolutely, yeah. because the they're basically a different vegetable. One hundred percent, and especially just the the snap aspect of a fresh green bean versus the waterlogged yeah. version. That again, I'm not I'm not hating on because no. I, I love a canned green bean as well. I really do. I my parents used to do canned green beans like they toss them into like a saucepan mm-hmm. with butter and seasoned salt. That's and what I do pepper, now. and it was so good. Yeah, yeah, that's my like quick. I need to do something, but it can't just be straight from the can because that's lame. Yeah, <laughs> so like cool. Well, like saute in air quotes because my our our listeners can see me air quote. Yeah. Uh, but saute with a little butter and garlic and things like that just to to sort of pick them, it up. A yeah, little. pick them up a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I mean, other than that, right, it's just, um, so I grew up with a picky eater as well. I think you said that your dad's a bit of a picky eater. My mom. Oh no, my dad's a garbage disposal, but (laughs) he's an interesting garbage disposal because he will eat pretty much anything besides fish for like two days afterwards. Like he'll eat the day of and then he'll eat leftovers for two days. But if it goes further than that, it's gone. But He's very much not on the, like, leftovers for days train. Yeah, I get that. My mom was 100% picky. I, I don't know why she's this picky. Uh, but the only vegetables that she was okay with were corn, green beans, and potatoes. And green beans is really, like, she was more okay with, like, it came in a can. She didn't have to do shit with it so she could feed it to us because she didn't like them. Yeah. But corn and potatoes are her only vegetable, which is really, like, not... So starch. Yeah, it's not really vegetables. Um, and so I, that's all I grew up eating. I had I didn't try broccoli until I was in high school, and it was from the um, non-named Chinese restaurant. Um, so sugar broccoli. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so and like things like that. Like I didn't try Chinese food till I was in high school. I don't think I tried anything outside of chain restaurant style food until I was well in my adulthood just one because of access right that kind of food didn't exist where I was yeah and two we just didn't need it right we couldn't afford that sort of thing and so a fancier style restaurant was just not really in the works for us when you can't afford like takeaway cheap Chinese food more than like twice a month you're not going to be splurging on going to like a nice restaurant absolutely the nicest restaurant we got were um casino buffets I can see it. Yeah. And um, 
So I'm like giving away sort of the location of my growing up. Uh, but like, so in Laughlin, like we, we I grew up like outside of Laughlin. And yeah. so like the Laughlin buffets, which I don't know, when we were a kid, they were fabulous. I haven't had them as an adult. It'd be really interesting to try them now and probably be. We actually should do that because I really do want to do like a, an episode on buffets and buffet culture because it's relatively new. Yep. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so enough about us, right? Because yeah. you're going to get snippets of us for forever because this is just who we are and we ramble. Uh, but the podcast, right? You're here for a podcast. So what the hell is History Between Bites? Birdie, what are we doing here? All right. So History Between Bites is this space where we're going to tell you about different ingredients and culinary traditions and processes. So we have like a section that we're going to be doing on mirepoix that's going to talk about the different ingredients in mirepoix and also how it's used and things like that. And we're going to take you all the way back as far as we can. Yeah, I I can't study ancient history and then not try to bring that into a podcast. So well, yeah, yeah, Uh, it actually started as me saying, you know, I've always wanted to get into podcasting, but I don't even know what I talk about. And then Sam texts me at like, what was it? Midnight thirty. It, it, <laughs> it had to be. It had to be very late. And, and like, what about? Well, because I had had I had discussed something like this with uh, Mr. Sam, um, and was just kind of like I this idea of food and and history. But I hate writing, right? I teach writing because I hate doing it. And uh, it's not those who can't do teach; it's those who don't want to do teach. And so. Um, I was like, I want to study this. I want to look into it. I want to do something with it, but I don't want to write. Like, I don't want to just write articles. And again, for those of you who write articles, yay, not for me. So I, he was like, well, why don't you do like a YouTube channel um, or a podcast? And I was like, well, a podcast would be great, but no one wants to listen to me by myself talk for forever. I mean, unless you're, unless you're paying for my classes um, or your parents are paying for my classes. Let's be real for five seconds. Um, but yeah, so when, when Bertie had said like, oh, I thought podcasting would be really fun, but I have no idea what to talk about. I was like, oh, oh, I got ideas. I got it. And, and thus the, the idea was kind of born. Yeah. And we, uh, we started with a different name at first and then we actually Googled the name and there are 87 podcasts with the same name. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And we were just like, ah, beans. Okay. And then one of my students, so shout out to my student who I will keep unnamed. You know who you are. Um, but they had suggested History Between Bites and, and it just kind of stuck. It clicked. It did. It just clicked really well for us. So that was what we kind of went with. And now you're listening to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, and then again, we just, we started the podcast for a number of reasons. I think, what is it like? Number one is like just to feed our soul, which yeah. is the cheesiest thing ever, but we have a lot of our other things on our plate and things that feel um, obligatory. And, you know, we're, we're busy adults and uh, busy parents and soon-to-be parents. And so we just kind of need something that is ours, again, in a space where uh, we don't have to be wives or mothers. We can just be uh, two chicks who like to hang out together and cook and talk about the strangest things because we do that anyways why not record it we might as well just go ahead and record it and give it to you guys and then you can be entertained by the various levels of okay so we tried this one recipe and it was a shit show yeah and we're always going to blame it on the ancient world like here's the thing we don't we're not bad cooks there are bad recipes (laughs) (laughs) well the ancient world was limited like for for episode three which is garlic 
uh, we're using a recipe that's from 4,000 years ago that has garlic and leeks in it. And it's probably not going to be great. No, because it's probably only garlics and leeks. Oh, it's garlics and leeks and oats, I think. And it's... Oh, fabulous. So we're going to make a savory oatmeal gruel. I love it. <laughs> so it's like the, the, the sort of great-grandparent of beer is really what we're going to be yeah, getting at here. Because that's when we get to the beer episode, right? Beer ends up being more of a um, oatmeal-type consistency for nutrients rather than for uh, frat parties <laughs> that it is today. This September will be a year that we've known each other and been friends. I think it put the friendship started sort of instantaneously. Yeah, she complimented my butt. How could I not be your friend? And I did it in a really sly way in front of everybody. So it was it was quite... Everybody we worked with at that time. That yeah, but I did great. it in a way that was like, don't do this. Hint, nice butt. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she's going to be my friend. Yeah, like, for sure. Right off the bat. For sure. And we're in bestie territory now, so it's lovely. And we just kind of like this kind of banter, I feel like comes naturally to us. So we're probably going to have to tone it down as we continue. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you maybe you, maybe you guys are here for it. But yeah, so a little bit about us, who we are, um, sort of very similar yet have, bring different things to the table. I think that your um, being a home cook is something that really inspires me. I find myself in my own kitchen without you being like, oh, right, Birdie did this thing or kind of the way you you set up your mise en place. Yes. Oh, I said it right. See, historians don't know everything. Uh, but like kind of the way you set up your station and, and just operate um, are things that I've picked up on, which is really interesting. And so, I'm yeah. glad that my chaos complements <laughs> your chaos. Well, because I think you've settled into your ADHD where I have just recognizing mine. So <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I'm like, oh, this is how you can operate in a space that makes sense and not just chaos. Yeah. yeah. And keep it clean in the process. Which well, clean-ish. Yes. If you ask my husband, it's still a disaster. But like, it's a controlled disaster? I don't know. We're just going to hang out. We're going to talk about different ingredients is kind of where we start, which sounds like you cannot talk for an hour about an ingredient. But let me tell you, we're actually cutting things because I think that we can talk for a long time about things. Uh, but episode one is yours. What are you doing for episode one? Episode one is olive oil. Uh, and it is really, really interesting to get into the history of olive oil, not just as a culinary ingredient, but as one that has, uh, let's call them secondary uses. Yeah, secondary uses. Yeah. Southern secondary uses, but not... Not American South. No. Human South. <laughs> So yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even get into, and I meant to, and I just totally blanked on it, but in olive oil, I didn't even get into the fact that they use it as massage oil in gymnasia. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. Like, oh, you just had a nice intense workout? Here, let me rub you down with some olive oil, buddy. It's like, there's certain culinary things that I'm like, who, yeah, like, who would have even thought about doing these things? But the, the Sea bugs, guys. <laughs> when we get into seafood, lobster is one of those things that it's like, when you actually look at one, if you've never seen one alive, you're like, how did anybody decide that they were going to eat this? It looks like a giant cockroach. It, it's because it, it is. Yeah. And like crabs are giant spiders. Crawdads are like if cockroaches and lobsters had little mini babies. Yeah. No, thanks. So shrimp, not the prettiest animal. No. But seeing shrimp swim for the first time was wild for me. Because I've never seen shrimp swim. Oh my God. The ones that swim the surface, it is just... It's insane. 
It's insane. I was so like, how is, do we eat this? So, okay, so here's like a twofold, and this is probably something they should know as well. But like, one, all of these like bug fish that we're talking about, I did not eat them as a child because again, no seafood in the desert. And I don't eat them as an adult because I'm Jewish. And so literally every time we bring up shellfish, I'm like, it's just not how, how could you come to this? Because my people don't eat them. <laughs> I love seafood. I love crawdads. I love lobster. I love shrimp. So I will be handling all of that. Yeah, because you can you can fuck right off with Yay. all of that. Oysters, scallops, any of any no thank you. My caveat on lobster, by the way, guys, is um the cruelty is kind of the flavoring in lobster. <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but like lobster that has been dead for longer than about twenty minutes before it's cooked just doesn't taste right. Yeah, you gotta like you gotta like cut into that head and then pop it right in the Yeah, and to be completely fair, it's not really that cruel. You basically pull them out of the water and then immediately like separate their little tiny brains from their body so they die instantly. So less cruel than you'd expect. Don't put a live lobster in boiling water. Oh, that is cruel. Up. That's fucked up. Yeah, but people hear like the, the screaming and they're like, Oh, the lobster is screaming. The lobster does not have the vocal cords to scream, guys. That is that is them boiling alive inside their shells. Don't do it. Put them in dead. I love that it's also become like, here's how to eat morally. Because again, kosher. Yeah. <laughs> um, not to mention the fact that like with a history degree, there's a lot of different cultures that tie morality to certain food groups. So honey in episode two, which I'll be doing, there's a whole conversation, not just with vegans today about the morality of, of honeys and using that as like an animal byproduct, but in India, right? So we have Buddhist and Jainist communities who um, honey becomes uh, something that has some moral ambiguity to it. So, so yeah, some interesting space there as well. There's a ton of morality wrapped up in food. And I think that that's inevitable when you're talking about particularly that food has always been such a charged issue Yeah, for a long time. Like we were just desperately trying to get enough calories to survive mm-hmm. in our, in our history. And so food necessarily became sort of a political like a political football. Well, and literally, I mean, there's different, I mean, the French Revolution, Let them food eat. is food is a catalyst for some of that in some arguments, an yeah. argument you can make, uh, right? And an argument you can make is is that food is a catalyst for the the Protestant Reformation, right? Like these connections between what we eat, how we, how we nourish ourselves, and the access that we have really did move human history. Uh, and these are fascinating stories that I like. We really want to share with you all, and just make you realize that when you eat buttered toast, that um, there's a story to that. There's a history to that. When you put honey in your tea, you are tapping into a millennia's long tradition of just humans being connected to the earth in a way that um, we maybe don't think about, and which is really fascinating and beautiful. I so one of the reasons I started with home cooking as much as I did um, was because I wanted to be more in touch with like both the history behind food and with the actual act of eating. Um, I worked on a goat farm when I was in high school and that was my first touch with like where does my food actually legitimately come from? So I learned how to process poultry for market which is a really nice way of saying I learned how to kill chickens in the most, like, humane method possible. Do you cut their heads off? Uh, you stab them in the neck and let them bleed out. 
because it's a little bit less traumatic for both the meat and the chicken. That makes sense. Than just like I mean, that's what you do to kosher cows. Yeah, as you there's no it. there's no bullet gun to the head because that's insane. Yeah, no, there's it's it's a bleed out method. Yeah, and that's just a little bit more humane. And then you like from there processing the meat is not in any stretch of the imagination something that comes across as humane. Like, oh. the way that you use the bodies is just not. But it's also important to understand that if you're going to be eating things that were once alive, you need to know about how the sausage gets made. Yeah, and the aspect of life and death that's built into our food, right? We're killing something to prolong our life. Yeah. and But then there's also food that's associated with life in itself. So milk and honey, right, are sort of these these symbols of of life and cycles and things like that. So we'll get into all of the symbolism and the mythology and the history and these class struggles and um, just really everything that food has a sort of, has its fingers on, I guess, for lack of a better Which is uh, euphemism. Basically everything. Yeah. By the way, the let them eat cake thing that I referenced earlier is probably not an actual quote. Uh, it's another method huh. of, it's another method of, food being used as a propaganda piece yeah. it's like i mean let's be real it does sound like something that a billionaire would say today possibly right before being crushed in a submarine <laughs> um uh, i love that these episodes are gonna be like so just a little cringy for us oh yeah and like we're gonna know oh right that's when we recorded this because she just made a sub <laughs> sub joke although it wasn't a sub sandwich joke on a food podcast so i know a I little bit of a little a little highbrow i didn't go for the lowest hanging fruit there. i appreciate that yeah, we've got smart jokes here. Birdie has smart jokes. I have history puns because I spent my entire adult life reading history books about Jewish magic, so I know zero things about the world. Um, and that will be like an ongoing joke that I have these fabulous um, dumb moments just because I was reading different sorts of things where Birdie was able to read whatever the fuck she wanted, which happened to be really insightful, brilliant things where so i'm like i don't know what maripois is um so yeah the lots of and you're gonna you're gonna listen to me learn this whole time which i'm so excited about as someone who teaches uh i mean the classroom is a space for me to learn anyways cheesy moments but like i really do miss just learning for the sake of learning and having fun with it and so this is this is tapping into all sorts of places for me and just sitting and having someone tell me things i don't know yeah, I'm really, really excited about this because, like, I go out of my way to not find things about your episodes. <laughs> so I'm just like... There are overlaps, though, sometimes. I, I know if, like, we're looking for certain things, we're like, ah, don't look at the onion stuff. <laughs> Which is a thing that I never thought I would have to say to myself. Like, oh, don't look at these onion information. You're like, who in the world? We have a we have a spreadsheet that we keep an idea of, like, all of the different episodes we're doing and, like, what we're naming each series. Which, by the way, for a lot of our episodes, they won't necessarily be in a series. But if they are, we'll tag them in the show notes with that. So yeah. if you are like, I want to listen to all the Mirapa episodes, you can go and find celery, carrots, onion, garlic the actual history of mirepoix as a method and what it looks like today. And also bell peppers will be in that. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, because we're, we're going to end up talking about the Holy Trinity. Yeah. Right? And, it's, and the Pope. Well, and, well yeah, yes. But also its connection to uh, Mesoamerican food traditions pre-colonialism, uh, which is fascinating because, again, we call it the Holy Trinity, which in actuality 
is a misnomer because it has a history of being far older than the introduction of Christianity into the quote unquote new world. So and we're, I'm going to shit on colonialists all the time. So just be prepared for that, that if you are a big fan of colonization, this might not, not be the podcast, podcast for, you. for you, unless you're, you know, so just know that like colonists are not our friends. <laughs> no, we are also going to talk about variations on the quote unquote Holy Trinity. Yeah. So like, I'll give you a quick freebie here. In Cajun cuisine, you don't use carrots in the Holy Trinity. And the reason for that is that if you've ever been to Louisiana, you'll know that that soil is not super awesome for growing <laughs> carrots or any real root vegetable. So in that one, you're going to get a lot of your nutrients that you would otherwise get from like starches or other uh, vegetables that may not grow there from regional variations. So you'll use bell pepper Usually red and yellow because it's a little bit sweeter and it'll kind of give you that sweetness carrots would otherwise have. And color, um, right? And color. So color variations wouldn't be as broad, I mean, with the, with the yeah. yellow and red. But, like, you get, like, roux and then you get a lot of seafood because Louisiana is a coastal region. Yeah, absolutely. That's why you get crawdad etouffee, which is one of my favorite things in the entire world. I'm sure it smells fabulous. It does. It does smell fabulous. It smells so good. I mean, at so some good. point, at some point, let's be real. At some point, if and when I go back home with you, hmm. I am on on board with. Um, sorry to all of my my Jewish homies, but like I'm good with cutting kosher for that trip to try a authentic like crab cookout. Or oh. whatever it is that y'all do oh, man. in the South that I have no fucking idea because I'm over here eating California burritos, which are still also not kosher, but I stay away from high trafe. So for That's those right. non-Jews, high trafe are food oh. stuffs that can't be made kosher. So pig cannot, no matter what you do to it, cannot be made kosher. Shellfish. Neither, yeah, shellfish. And so those are the things. The things that under no circumstances could they ever be kosher are the things that I stay away from. Uh, but meat and dairy I do together. Are catfish and shark in that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So. Which is interesting because the first cat, uh, the first cat I had, <laughs> no, the first fish I had was catfish because of the Colorado River. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, don't eat things out of that river, please. <laughs> I know who hangs out in those rivers. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. But yuck. Um, it also spills into Lake Mead, and Lake Mead is where we found tons of bodies, so... Don't eat the fish. That's why they're a catfish. Right? <laughs> yeah, this is true. But but yeah, so catfish is uh, is not kosher because of the scales issue. Yeah, I was. My, oh wait, my it's a bottom was, feeder. Yeah, it's yeah. a bottom feeder. Um, so it's like a. a it eats poop. It eats other everything. fish. Poop. Yeah, yes, it, it does. eats everything. Yeah, so no algae eaters for us. Well, no <laughs> algae eaters for you. Yeah, I have been craving catfish like it's going out of style. Nice. Um, there's actually a place that's near your house that I'm going to be good checking out on like Saturday. Nice. Aaron, let Mr. Me, let me know how your non-kosher Shabbat meal goes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, and shark yeti yeah, and swordfish. Swordfish is off the table. But Nobody again, if I am in a region where my job is to talk about food on a podcast, I, I can break the rules a little bit. And I'm not going to make you break the rules for like the oyster episodes or anything like that because. Well, you don't want to hear me puke. No. I just, the, I don't know. It just does not look appealing. But this has been a very long intro episode, and usually they say to keep it to 20 minutes. It's impossible. Yeah. Impossible, guys. If we keep a conversation to 20 minutes, it's because one of us is literally standing in a doctor's office going, okay, I need to go now. For sure. Or, or like, 
clocking in to work. But even then, I mean, we've worked at the same place and we've definitely clocked in and kept talking. So that's Birdie in a nutshell and Sam in a nutshell, I guess. Uh, We are strange and nerdy and like food. Yeah, I think that pretty much, that should be a piece of merch. Strange, nerdy, love food. Yeah, perfect. That's going to be like our first t-shirts. Mugs coming soon. Yeah. Uh, stickers. I've heard that stickers are wildly popular. People don't want actual merch. They just want stickers. So have you seen the back of my laptop? Yeah. yeah people love stickers. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make it happen. Uh, but hopefully you stick around for the actual podcast. Hopefully we haven't run you off with our yammering. But, um, or you can just skip all this all together and just jump into episode one, which is going to be fabulous. And um, on olive oil, which Birdie, it does a wonderful job. It's already recorded and it is uh, really interesting and super fun. So please stick around for that. What other plugs do we have before we leave? Uh, we've got our Patreon, which will be going live here shortly, probably right around the time that this is actually published. That's patreon.com slash history between bites. Uh, we also have our YouTube channel, which is Hearth or Table. Hearth or Table. We haven't got anything up on it yet, but we will. We're gonna post pictures and videos of us in the kitchen and stuff like that. Yeah, we kind of. I kind of have to get a wrangle on like audio editing before I jump into video editing. But just know it's gonna be a little rough. Yeah, and, you it's know, a, that's a learning curve. It's a learning curve. It's we won't be binging with Babish right away. No, but hopefully. But hopefully, sometime. But hopefully, by some point, we will be. Doing doing well enough. I for would that. love for Babbage to have to make an ancient recipe. Oh my god, we should definitely. Okay, it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's so happen. Goals, 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 goals. There's lots of people I want on this podcast. Oh my god, um, for sure. So I have a whole list of people that I'm like, oh, these are people to reach out to, and we've made it. So guys, let us make it. <laughs> Literally, help us make it. Help us make it. The food. All the things. Um, So Patreon, you can find us on social media as well. So History Between Bites Pod on Instagram is where you can find us. Um, And it's History Between Bites on Facebook too, right? Yes, History Between Bites on Facebook. Other than that, um, find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you stick around and um, thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.